today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 12 to 19. We're going to finish uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. And, um, you know, last week I began the message by reading the verse that says, the end of all things is at hand. You know, it's a good, like, ominous way of starting a message. And today we're going to begin with fiery trials. So... Um, I will say though with this, have some hope because at the end of this section, we're gonna see that we've got um, hope because of our faithful creator and we're gonna find some rejoicing and glory um, in it as well. But let's begin by reading the passage, the whole passage that we're gonna see and then we'll kind of go back through and walk through it. So starting here in 1 Peter chapter four, um, starting there in verse 12, it says this. It says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And he goes on, he says, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. All right. Well, Peter here is then returning. If you've been following along with us throughout the study of 1 Peter, you find that there is multiple places where Peter addresses suffering. He's talking about suffering. In the very beginning of this, this book, he talks about who he's writing to and he calls them exiles. People that are, are no longer welcome where they once lived. People that are part of a different kingdom, a different citizenship, and people that are, are not comfortable being where they once were. And, and he, he, multiple times throughout this book, goes through and talks about the fact that there's gonna be suffering that comes your way in your life and he addresses some of just the normal life suffering that we all have. But then he also talks about suffering specifically for the sake of the Lord. And I think that um, this is actually, this, this theme of suffering is one of the primary reasons that Peter even wrote this letter. To address suffering and to deal with suffering and to figure out suffering. But I also think it's one of the primary reasons that a lot of pastors don't teach through the letter of 1 Peter. Um, even some of my favorite uh, pastors that I'll sometimes listen to and listen to their messages and sermons, a lot of them just don't do 1 Peter because there's so much suffering involved in 1 Peter. It's like better to uh, talk about some of the fun things. But I think that it's important that we understand suffering. It's important for our lives because we know we're gonna deal with a lot of suffering in our lives. And there's there's... A, a, a value in understanding suffering because it allows us to have hope in hopeless situations. It also allows us to see God's light in dark places. And it helps us make sense 
of the senseless things that happens that happen in this life. Because that's what we find when you live life, right? You find that suffering's real in this world. You find that bad things happen. They happen to bad people and they happen to good people. Things like cancer pop up out of nowhere. Accidents happen, car wrecks, injuries, illness. This happens. That's part of what we experience in this life. And all suffering exists because of the fallenness of humanity. Have you ever thought about that? All suffering exists because of the fallenness of humanity. Suffering wasn't a part of God's initial creation. That's not how he intended things to be. That's not how he's going to leave them forever. But we know that apart from God, we suffer under the control of sin. It doesn't take long to see that. Look around. There are people all around us that, have, that are, are controlled, ruled, enslaved to sin. And that sin runs their life and ruins their life. And as the Bible tells us, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And Christians share in this fallen humanity. Even as Christians, we know we're going to experience suffering as well, just like we're going to still experience temptation and we're going to experience sin and we're going to fall as well and we're going to deal with that. That's the the way human beings are. Now, when we come to God, the slavery of sin, the power that it has over us is broken. When you come to the Lord, sin no longer owns you, but we still find suffering because it surrounds us. And what happens after you come to the Lord and he forgives your sins and he breaks that power of sin in your life, he begins transforming you and changing you. It's what theologically we call sanctification. You hear me talking about it a lot. And in sanctification, what we find is there is still suffering. It's righteous suffering, but it's hard to change and it's hard to be changed. It's like a a a series of spiritual surgeries that you undergo, right? I don't know. Some of you have had surgeries. Some of you have not. Some of you had multiple surgeries. And guess what? For any of you who have had a surgery, you realize, okay, it's a good thing that you're doing to me, putting my body into this hard place. I'm suffering in this and I'm going under a knife, but I realize that the outcome is good, because it's better that I have this surgery now and have this healing than if I didn't, right? That's why we do something as drastic as surgery. Well, we also find that same thing with sanctification. It's a a spiritual surgery that's bringing us to spiritual wholeness and health, but like all surgeries, it still includes suffering. There's suffering involved as you're being sanctified. And there's a process of recovery and restoration in it. Now, the the entire process of being released from sin's grip was made possible by the sufferings that Jesus endured for us. And that's what Peter always looks back to. The, The sin of the world corrupted the nature of human beings and separated us from the relationship with God. That's what I tell you all the time. The simple definition of sin is anything that separates you from God and from others. Right? If you wonder, hey, is this a sin or not in my life? Well, ask yourself the question, does this damage my relationship with God? If the answer is yes, yes, it's a sin. 
If it's something that damages even my relationship and a good relationship with other people, then there's a very good chance it could be sin in your life or sin for you. All right? But Jesus came and he made a way that the relationship would be restored. Because if we've all sinned, we've all damaged that relationship, then it needs to be uh, restored. But that included great suffering for Jesus. All right, if you know the story of Jesus, you realize he suffered greatly for our sins. And we know that we don't endure that same suffering. All right, none of us are gonna have to be crucified like Jesus was crucified. We We don't have to experience that. He reached from a place of perfection down to a place of imperfection. That's, that's how that is. But we endure suffering as we allow him to pull us up from imperfection towards perfection. And leaving our old body of sin and death behind is a struggle. It's a struggle. And although that the, the sin, the power of sin is broken and our old flesh is dead, it still has a way of hanging on in our lives. That's what exp- Christians experience. But be encouraged because we don't face that struggle against sin alone. The Holy Spirit's been given to us to equip us, empower us, and guide us on that path, as well as each other as we walk the path together. So let's go back through now and begin walking through each of these verses now that we have this this picture of suffering in our mind. Verse 12, he said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. When it comes upon you, look to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So the first thing he talks about here is fiery trials. Fiery trials. And let's face it, a fiery trial does not sound good to anybody. Has anybody here been burned ever in their lives? Physically burned. We've got a handful. I'll, I'll just, I wasn't going to tell you this story, but I'm going to tell you this story because it's my best burning story, okay? And I don't think I've ever told you this story before. Maybe I have. When I was a little kid, probably uh, eight, eight years old, nine years old, something like that, um, my, my family, my, my dad was uh, pastoring a little church in Louisville, Kentucky. And if you're from Louisville, Kentucky, you say Louisville, Kentucky. You don't say Louisville. You don't say anything. It's, actually, if you're from that area, you actually say Louisville, from Louisville, Kentucky, okay? And in Louisville, Kentucky, where we lived at the time, we were in this, this old church building, and downstairs, um, the way that the entire building was heated in the winter was they, they had what was called a boiler. And th- we don't have that really in modern buildings, but in old buildings, it was a, a fire-burning furnace that would heat steam, hot steam, and boil steam through these hot pipes throughout the building and then release it into these these heat registers throughout the building. Well, downstairs in the basement of this church building, there was a water fountain. And I was not a tall kid yet at this point, seven, eight years old, I don't remember what it was. And so there were steps up to the water fountain for the kids to be able to climb up the steps to get to the water fountain because it was a tall standing water fountain. But here's the trick. When you got to the top of the steps on the water fountain, you drink from the water fountain. If you stayed standing on the steps and you turned, you'd see an exposed pipe in the ceiling. And that exposed pipe for a kind of Tarzan-like kid like I was, was a perfect pipe to leap from the water fountain thing over to the pipe and you could grab it at the ceiling and swing 
I'm swinging around. Swing and drop off and, you know, run about and do whatever you're going to do. Just a fun kind of thing, like a playground bar, right? That's fine. I did that every time I went to that water fountain. Get my water, jump up, swing, go. It was all good until one winter. And one winter time, it had been cold. The heater was on in the church. The the pipes are full of hot steam. I had no idea. I came down, got my drink to the water fountain, did my usual jump, jump and grab this steaming hot pipe, iron, cast iron pipe, and I'm jumping and swinging, so I can't just let go. It's not just like, ooh, I touched it, it was hot. It's jump and swing around the pipe and then let go and fall. And I hit the ground down by myself downstairs. I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? (laughs) So I ran upstairs where my mom was at in service and service had already started. So I don't even know, so I was probably already in trouble because I was late for service and who knows what else was going on. But I didn't even say anything because I was just like, oh my gosh, what's happened? What have I done to myself? So I'm sitting there in, in, in the pew in this church and we're singing, it's worship time for service. And my mom looks at me, she's like, Brett, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, mom, look. And I open up my hands and they're already blistering on both hands, all the palms of my hands. She's like, oh my gosh. Takes me out of there and, you know, hands in cold water. And for the next day or whatever, I'm standing there holding my hands against a fan to just blow to try to cool this thing down. I got burned. It was a bad burn. And it's a feeling that you don't ever want to replicate burns just last and they don't want to go away and you just, ah, fiery trial. When we see this and he says, look, don't be surprised about a fiery trial. He's not saying, hey, look forward to the fiery trial. It's so great. You're going to get burned. You're going to remember it forever. You're going to be 40 something years old and remember back when you were a little kid. No, that's not what he says. He says, look, I'm not calling you to enjoy it, but I'm telling you it shouldn't surprise you. And sometimes that happens for Christians. They come to the Lord and they pray and they ask the things of God that they expect and want from God. And he doesn't answer them the way they want the, the, the answer to come. They experience pain and illness and suffering and sickness. And they're like, God, where are you? I am under the, under the fire right now. Why aren't you here? Why aren't you answering me? Why aren't you doing what you're supposed to do? Well, what we know from the Bible and from scripture over and over is that trials are gonna come. It's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when. But these aren't just ordinary trials of life because here's the honest truth. Because we're in that fallen place like we talked about at the beginning, sometimes trials are gonna come our way, suffering is gonna come our way that has really no good purpose. It's literally just a result of sin in the world. Not even necessarily your own sin. It's just the fact that the world's a fallen place. That's why people get sick, all right? It's not because of, oh, they did something bad. That's why they're the ones who got COVID and I didn't or whatever. No, that's not what it is. We live on a fallen planet. But these trials that he's describing specifically are to test us, as he says there, and to refine us spiritually. Back when we were in chapter one of First Peter, I don't know if you remember this, but um, in verse one, chapter or chapter one, verse seven, it talks about um, the gold refining process. And I talked with you a little bit about how they refine gold, how they take gold from this lump of rock that you can barely even tell that there's any gold, anything in it, and they begin to run it through this whole series of of it's called fire assay. 
And what they're doing is they're melting out the different impurities and the different um, alloys and things that are part of gold until they continue to reduce it down through all these little trials, all these little fires until it gets to the spot where, okay, boom, you've got pure gold. This is the same kind of process that he's talking about when he's saying these fiery trials are meant to test you. They're meant to purify you. They're meant to change you. And they, they, they can still hurt though. Now, he does say here, but, it, but we're to rejoice in the way that we share with Christ's sufferings. Now, like I said to you before, Christ suffered once and for all. Once and for all in overcoming sin. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying the way that you share in Christ's sufferings is, is that you're going to go and get crucified and beaten. That's not it. In fact, in Hebrews 10, 10 to 14, it says, we have been sanctified, those who are believers in Christ, have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, not permanently. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So when Peter talks about us sharing with the sufferings of Christ, he's not saying that we are going to be crucified like Jesus was crucified. That's not needed. Jesus already did it once and for all, permanently. He alone endured that suffering. So what is it that we share in? Well, part of what we share in is in the suffering of leaving our sins behind. And we also might suffer from those who reject God and us just for following him. Okay, so the trials that come our way are different than, uh, than the trials that Jesus suffered, but they're also different. And remember, we want to be respectful of the context of what Peter was writing here, uh, the, the church that he was writing to here. Um, the trials that come our way in this modern age, living here in the United States in 2021, are different than the, many of the trials that the Christians from the first century had to endure. Tradition teaches us that Peter, who wrote this letter, would ultimately be crucified upside down. That's how he died. Paul, another writer of the New Testament, was beheaded. John, the Apostle John, it tells us that he was dunked into boiling oil. He didn't even die from that. I mean, there, the, these, these people went, were going to go through some serious, fiery trials, physical trials. And historically, we're now in a lower point of history of those kinds of persecutions. But in certain parts of the world today, guys, people are, are suffering and are struggling and dealing with these types of trials in places around the world. If you want to be able to pray for those people and learn more about that, I'd, I'd uh, encourage you to check out a, a website. Um, there's a company called Voice of the Martyrs that tries to keep a track of, of what's happening in persecution around the world. And even today, there are people that are persecuted and killed for their faith in Jesus. Now, we do suffer if we follow after Jesus. Even if we're not going to experience that kind of suffering, we, we will still experience suffering. And as we're learning to deny ourselves, we're pushing against 
the prevailing culture around us. The world around you does not say deny yourself. It's feed yourself. Make yourself feel good. Feel better. That, it's all about you. You deserve it. You need it. Just make yourself as comfortable and, and, and as much, experience as much pleasure as you possibly can. But we're encouraged to do something counterintuitive even when we experience suffering. Go back and take a look at that, what he says there. He says, when it happens, as you're partaking in these sufferings, rejoice and be glad in it. Now, I don't struggle with rejoicing after suffering is over. Okay, that's not a problem for me. When suffering's gone, whoo, it's over. I can do that. I can rejoice then. But rejoicing as I suffer, that's a little bit different. In the, in the New Testament, we have a story that I think illustrates this pretty well of uh, the Apostle Paul, Paul and Silas, two of the early uh, disciples that were going around on missionary journeys. And when Paul and Silas came into a town um, in Asia Minor, Asia Minor called Philippi, they were going about sharing the gospel, doing what they were doing, going to plant a church there. And uh, they ended up casting a demon out of this little girl who had this demon that used, that, that her owner, she was a slave girl, and her owners used her, this demon, to um, do fortune telling. And apparently she was very good at what she did. This demon somehow gave her a supernatural understanding of being able to speak like, you know, um, these these perverse prophetic words to the people around. And so as, as uh, Paul and Silas are, are going about doing what they're doing, they come across this girl and they cast the demon out of the girl, free her from this demon possession. Well, because of that, her owners are furious because they've lost a source of income from this girl. They were making a, a killing, um, you know, using her for fortune telling. And so what happens then, as, they, as, as Paul and Silas are, are targeted now by these owners, they're like, okay, these are the guys that did this. We're taking, them, we're taking them to court, basically. All right? And in Acts chapter 16, verse 19 to 25, here's what it says. It says, And they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. And they've got to come up with like a, an actual legal you know, ramification to bring this to the, the, the magistrates here. And they, um, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But look what it says in verse 25. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, I can understand that, and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Now, I don't know what kind of songs those were. I mean, this might be, maybe they were sad songs. Maybe this is a, a, a early version of early blues. <laughs> okay, I don't know. But I've got a feeling that it's likely that they were actually singing songs of praise and rejoicing in the middle of that, in the middle of that hard place. Now, why would we rejoice in suffering? Now, for some of you, maybe you're the type of people that you read a verse in the Bible and you're like, okay, that's it, I'm doing it. I'm not sure why, but it says it here in the Bible, so that's how I'm gonna live it. 
Okay, some of you got that ability. Others of you might be like, now hold on. Is that really what that says? Or really what that means? How is it supposed to work? Well, let's think about this a little bit together. Why would we rejoice in suffering? Why would Peter even say that? Rejoice in suffering? How about like give us some good dirges or some reason to, you know, a, a curse word that works just for when we're in the middle of a righteous suffering. Come on, Peter, that works better for me. Okay, why? Well, here's why. And this is where, where, what Peter's pointing to. The reason is, if we're, rejoic- if, we, if we're suffering because of Christ, for Christ's sake, for the work that God's doing in us, we can be rejoicing in the middle of that suffering simply because we do know that God's at work in our lives. That means God has something to do with you. If you're suffering for his sake, that means there, he's working some way in your life. That means there's some sort of connection that you have with God. That's a really good thing. That's a reason to rejoice. And what's the outcome of the work of God in our lives? Well, he points it to it and he says that one day we're going to be included in his glorious future. Amen. This is what we always have to remember as Christians. This life is not the end. It's not all about right now, right here in the here and now. There is a future coming that is not like this one. A future that is without suffering. And it's critical that we understand that the suffering that we endure for God's sake has a purpose. That's another big part of it. It has a purpose. It's not wasted. Sometimes people, I think, view Jesus as like he's like this vindictive older brother that we have. And he sits up in heaven and he's like... Did you, you know what I went through down there when I was among you worms on earth? I went down there. I left the throne of heaven. I laid down my godness in order to come down here in human flesh. And what did you do to me? You beat me up. You cussed at me. You spit on me. You ripped out my beard. You ultimately tortured me and crucified me. So I just figured since I went through that, all the rest of you should too. You have older sibling that was that way? (laughs) That's not Jesus. That's not at all his heart. Instead, it says for him, it was a joy to actually come down and make that sacrifice for us. And he's not calling us to suffer just because he suffered. No, he calls us to suffer because it has a purpose. It has a purpose in our lives. So here's, I'm gonna tell you two different things here um, as we work through this. Two purposes that suffering has that we find here in 1 Peter. First, suffering has the ability to purify us and prepare us for heaven. Okay? We're being transformed as Christians. If you're not being transformed as a Christian, you should second guess whether or not you're a Christian. It's that's heavy to say, but that's true. You should be changing, no matter how old or young you are, because that's what God does in us. Transformation is a necessity because no sin whatsoever at all is gonna be carried with us into the future, into the new heaven and the new earth. It's gone. All pain, all suffering, all sickness, all illness, all sadness, all sorrow, it will all be eliminated. This world, though, is the place for those things in our own lives to be dealt with. 
And that's part of the process that he takes us through. It says in Romans 5, 1 to 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in what? The hope of the glory of God when he returns and he makes all things right. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you hear what he's saying there? He says, we're gonna suffer because suffering produces things in us. It changes us, it transforms us. It's part of the process that God is taking us through and it hurts and it's not easy. You're getting sin removed from you. Suffering transforms us, but it also has another purpose. And that's what we see in verses 14 to 16. Back in 1 Peter, he said, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. That doesn't seem right. I've just got insulted. How's that a blessing? Well, because the spirit of God, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. The second thing that suffering does in our lives is suffering has the ability to bring glory to God. That seems weird. It seems kind of strange, but it can. Our suffering on this earth and the way that we suffer and being willing to suffer and let God change us actually can bring glory to God. Jesus suffered and brought glory to God. When you or I suffer for Christ in this life, we're pointing to something else. We're bringing glory to God. And you know you're on the right track if you're suffering for your relationship to Christ. That's why he says you're blessed even though you've been insulted for the name of Christ. He says, he goes on and says, now don't let you, don't suffer just because you've done something wrong, like you murdered somebody, you stole something, or you're actually doing, that's a different type of suffering. We're not talking about that. But if God is evident in your life, you're going to be opposed because the fallen world opposes God. But if you must suffer for him, there's a promise of blessing for you. And it's through your suffering that you have an opportunity to expose the dying world to the living God. What a privilege. So we do have to discern though between the difference between suffering because of God's work in our lives and suffering because of our own sin. Here's what, here's what happens. When we become Christians, as I've said already, the power of sin in your life is broken. But as we talked about last week, when I asked for a show of hands, of if there was anyone here who still struggled with sin, what we found out was, oh, everyone raised their hand. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Here we are out here on a patio with a group of Christians and all these proclaiming Christians are saying, I still struggle. I still struggle with sin. And there is, the, that power of sin's been broken, but we still can suffer the consequences of our sin. Even as Christians, we're not immune to those consequences. Romans 6, 6-7 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
for one who has died has been set free from sin. But he goes on to verse 11 and says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus and let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He's not saying that we can't sin any longer because we're Christians, but he does tell us we now have the freedom not to sin. You don't have to sin any longer. And you can be guaranteed that sin will cause suffering. It's time for us to leave sin behind. And that's how he finishes our passage here today. Look with me, verses 17 to 19. He says, for it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? He's quoting Proverbs 11.31 there. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. He talks about judgment here. And what he tells us is what we already know, that everyone who has ever lived, everyone who has ever lived in all of history, every human being is going to be judged by God. Every one of us, from the very, the most righteous of us to the most wicked of us. However, some will have their sins paid for before judgment day. That's the difference. And those people are the ones who have identified themselves with Christ and have been adopted into his family. They will be saved from the penalty of their sins. The righteousness of Jesus is put upon those who have trusted in him. And that salvation should result in a different way of living. That's what he's calling us to. And so he says there that the judgment is gonna begin, it should begin with God's family. When we see sin in our own lives, we should deal with it. Instead of running around trying to point out the sin of all these other people or try to point out, oh, the lost, they're all lost, they're all lost. Make sure that sin has been dealt with in your own life. That's what we're called to. And it's right that God would deal first with his own children. We're those who have been delivered from the power of sin and we're those with the Holy Spirit of God that's dwelling within us. And we have the ability to walk in holiness and purity before God. One, one more verse here, also from Romans, um, before we finish here today. Romans 8, 1 to 4 says, There is therefore now no condemnation. This is referring to the judgment. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So here's the question as we finish, as we look at this. Suffering's gonna come. There's gonna be times where we realize that one of the biggest ways that we suffer in this life as a Christian is putting to death our sinful flesh and wrestling through those things but we've been given the freedom to do that and we need to take advantage of it. And so my question to you is the same question I had asked myself as I was reading through this and praying through this passage. I have to say, am I living like it? Am I someone who can rejoice in my sufferings because I know of the glory of God? Am I someone who has taken it seriously, the fact that he has set me free from my sin 
And if I truly put that behind me, am I being transformed by God? Am I pursuing God? Am I taking full advantage of the life that Jesus came to give me? Am I full of rejoicing and joy, even in the hard places? You can be, and God calls you to it, and God calls you towards it. And it is time for, ju- for us to judge ourselves and put sin behind us. Guys, judgment will come one day for those who do not obey the gospel. That's, that's what we find. But we, as ambassadors for Jesus, are called to live lives of holiness, even if that results in temporary suffering for the sake of Christ on this earth. It's worth it. And God's got a purpose. And, and my last point here is just that God is a faithful creator. Amen. He's a faithful creator. We serve a faithful God. Jesus poured his life out for us. So guys, I want to encourage you and endure the suffering necessary in your life here now to bring him glory and honor. That's the God we serve and that's the God we have the opportunity to proclaim and declare to everybody around us. And trust your soul to him and live as he's calling you to live. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word here this morning. And I thank you, God, for the fact that you would love us so much that you would send Jesus to die on our behalf. And Lord, I know that we struggle with suffering And it is difficult for us to understand why we ask that question, why, so often. And Lord, today I pray that we would be able to see why. I pray that that some of what we have discussed here today would remind us that you are at work and that you have a purpose, that you have a plan, that our suffering is not missed by you, that you see our suffering, that you know our suffering. And Lord, that even in it, you can be glorified and you desire to do great things through it. And so Lord, we wanna offer ourselves again to you today. We wanna ask that you would search us and know our hearts. Lord, I pray that if there are spaces in our hearts places in our lives that we know that we are living in sin, that we're not walking as we should walk. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to to repent of those sins and move forward. I pray that you would bring freedom to those who need freedom here today. And Lord, I pray that you would bring joy in the middle of our suffering. And God, may we be those people that can look forward to being with you, our faithful creator. You're good, you're loving, even when we can't see it and we don't know all that's there. And I pray that we'd be people that would worship you in that way, people that would be reminded of your goodness and your love for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.